Sometimes I get to this point in the service and I'm like, I'm good. I'm full. I don't know that I've got anything more I can add to that. That was pretty amazing stuff. So God is good. Amen. You know, we've been walking through a series uh, called Loving Generously. And it is a video-driven, it is a, a um, kind of a movie-driven type of a series that is designed to walk us right into the very heart of God. And as you have come to appreciate over the last few weeks, I think you realize that this is a difficult walk. This is a difficult journey. When anytime you enter into the heart of God, you discover that God has a broken and bleeding heart for a lost and dying world. And so you can't get into that heart and walk away undisturbed by what is on the heart of God. And so we are taking this journey together. And it is, uh, quite frankly, uh, designed uh, to be kind of a five-week journey. We are in the fourth of the five weeks. And it works simply, uh, kind of like this. Uh, each week we walk through a session of the videos, and again, we are in week four here. Uh, we walk through these sessions, and then behind each of the stories, and I'll show you the video for this week in just a minute, uh, we then look at the scriptures, and what the scriptures have to say about the topic at hand. And then we move into our small group communities where we actually wrestle, challenge one another with these truths to better understand them, and then the hope would be that it would actually issue forth in acts of service to those around us. And if you haven't visited the back wall recently in that corner uh, where we're recording some of these opportunities God has given us, I want to encourage you to do so. A number of new things have shown up this week. Uh, that wall is there not only for you to write on, please do, if God's given you an opportunity, record it, but it's also there to stir up one another to love and good deeds by seeing that and seeing what other people have done we can think I can do that and thus uh, follow through on some of these opportunities so it is the storyline the scriptures the small group communities and then acts of service that's how it has been designed and it is uh, by God's grace playing out uh, so what we're doing today is we are moving into session four it's called called uh, but before we actually view it let me catch you up to speed on where we're at with the storyline. I just want to say that if you would like to view each of the videos that we've already watched, they are all on our website, gracewaldorf.org. And if you click on messages, you will discover each of them there. This is the fourth of them. And so picking up in how things have gone, the first week we were together, we were introduced to this young couple. This is Thomas, and this is his girlfriend, Julia. Uh, they met one another and fell in love in a soup kitchen. Uh, Thomas is blind, and that has its challenges with it. And then Julia uh, actually was homeless in the first session. And so we find our main characters, Frank and his wife, Cassie Donovan, inviting this young woman to come live with them since she has nowhere else to live. That was session one. Again, you can view that online. Uh, that gave birth to the next video, uh, which was called For Sale. When Julia entered into the home of the Donovans, all of a sudden they began to view their life and lifestyle through the eyes of somebody much more simple and used to only having the necessities of life. And that challenged them that we can get rid of a lot of this stuff and then use that to help others in need. So they had a yard sale. We had a yard sale. They raised $2,000. We raised $2,500. Say yay. Good job, guys. 
yeah, we raised $2,500, and we're going to be giving that to Lifestyles of Southern Maryland to help those in need. So you see, just a few extra things, some stuff, a few of our treasures we can sell and actually use those proceeds to minister and help to people in need. So they sold their items, raised $2,000, and they're going to use that money to actually pay off Julia's boyfriend, who actually is a pimp so that he will leave her alone so she can live her life that she would like to live with her, uh, her true boyfriend, Thomas. So last week when we were together, we watched how they went to this location and paid off the man who was holding Julia hostage, gave him $2,000, and he promised to leave her alone. This opened up the opportunity for Thomas and Julia to be able to move forward with plans for their wedding. That brings us to today. We're going to see how these plans come together. But in the midst of all this beauty, there's actually some real tension as well. Let's view this together, and then from there we will go. I want to encourage the sound people to make it nice and loud. Thank you. Places, people, places. T minus 24 hours. This wedding may be hasty, but it's not going to be sloppy. Right? I'm going to step right over here. It's all so beautiful. <laughs> Excuse me. Great, Cassie, can I have a word, please? We tried knocking. Sorry about that. Getting ready for this wedding has been crazy. We're all running around. <laughs> so, what can we do for you? Wedding? Yeah, for some friends of ours. Uh, they were at the banquet a few weeks ago. I think it was the one that you left early from. Frank. Let me cut to the chase. We've received a number of complaints at the Homeowners Association about the yard sale last week. Complaints? From whom? That's not important. What is important is that we have a responsibility to ensure a reasonable expectation of security in our community. We live in a gated community. It's gated for a reason. I'm sorry, was there something unsafe about a yard sale? The financial investment that you guys have made down at the soup kitchen is wonderful. And we're all for helping those folks down there find work. We just don't know if it was a good idea to hire them to work at your yard sale. I mean, did you do any background checks? They're not our employees, Mark. They're our friends. We're just all concerned for you. That's all. Um, listen, were you and Eddie arrested last week for solicitation? So are my parents in some kind of trouble with the neighborhood? I don't know. I know there was kind of a big stink about those people at the yard sale. What people? The homeless people. They're not homeless. They're really nice, actually. Well, whoever they are, my parents were all... The Donovans are acting weird lately. We don't want you going over there without asking us. That's stupid. Is it? I mean, doesn't it freak you out just a little? You've got this girl living with you who people are saying used to be a professional. And you've got all these homeless people or whatever coming to your house. It's kind of weird. For now, this is just an informal warning. But if you insist on continuing to put our community at risk, we'll be forced to consider probationary status. Probationary status? 
Mark and Marianne, you're on board with this? We've been friends since our kids were in diapers. <laughs> Frank, none of us expects it to come to that. We just want things the way they were. And then everything will be fine. And by the way, an event of this size has to be approved by the HOA at least a month in advance. We have to confer over things like security, parking, street access. You come to our Christmas party every year. We host five times as many people as will be at this wedding. And you've never once told us that we need to discuss this with the HOA. I'm sure you won't have trouble finding some place to move it. Otherwise, we're going to have to call the police. Thomas, is something wrong? Oh, look at you! Breathtaking. <laughs> Thank you. Thomas, you look so beautiful. Can you describe her for me? Thomas, it is bad luck for the groom to see the bride in her gown before the wedding. <laughs> is everything okay? Yeah. It should... Could you give us a second, Dolores? Excuse me, can I have everyone's attention? I never knew you could grow so close to people so quickly. We want to thank you all. We are so extremely grateful for everyone around this table and I can think of nothing better than to share our wedding with you. But we've decided we should postpone the wedding. What? Postpone? What? What's going on? Cassie and Frank, Megan and Evan, you have all invited us into your homes and into your lives, and we can't ask you to sacrifice your friendships as well. Thomas overheard your conversation with the Homeowners Association. We think it's wonderful that you still want to do this for us anyway, but we can't ask you to do that. It's not fair to you. We can wait a little while anyway. We've enjoyed a pretty good standing in this community for as long as we've been here. And we're thankful for that. But not at the expense of living the way that God has called us to live. When he says that the world will hate us because he has chosen us out of the world, I really don't get that. And I don't want to be hated by anyone. Especially friends like Mark, Marianne, and Allison. But if they hate us because we share our lives with you clowns, <laughs> well, I'm all right with that.
We got you a gift. <laughs> you did not need to get us anything. We didn't. Exactly. What is it? It's a 12A. A 12 what? It's for the door of the guest house. When we offered you that space, we thought you'd be with us longer. And although we're happy that you have a good reason for moving out, we'll miss you. So as a family, we decided to keep that space available for anyone that might need it in the future. And in your memory, we have decided to christen it Unit 1-2-A. 1-2-A-Nother. Be devoted one to another in love. Outdo one another in showing honor. <laughs> we thought that uh, we'd make it sort of our unofficial motto. Perfect. <laughs> How about a toast then? To Thomas and Julia, and to outdoing one another in showing honor. Cheers. 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 <laughs> quite a good storyline and you, if you haven't seen the previous uh, videos I want to encourage you to do take the time and check them out next week we will conclude uh, this series you know uh, it is a difficult thing when you start to understand the scriptures and the meaning of a vital living relationship with Jesus Christ when you love Jesus so much so much that you want to obey him by loving those that he loves, particularly those who are the least and those who are the lost. It's a difficult thing when you do this out of love for Jesus Christ and those around you, those people who are closest to you, begin to question you and even criticize you for selfless acts of love and devotion for Jesus in the lives of others. And I wish I could say that that is an uncommon occurrence, but it really isn't. It really isn't. Today, I want to invite you to take your Bibles and join me in Mark chapter 14 this morning. Mark chapter 14. We're going to take just a few minutes, and we're going to look at the story of the anointing of Jesus in Bethany. And in this story, we see such beautiful devotion and connected to it, harsh, harsh criticism. So allow me to read this portion of scripture. I have a quick word of prayer together, and then we'll kind of take this apart and see what it has to say to us today about what we just viewed. Mark 14 in verse 3 says this, and while he, Jesus, was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, 
As he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. It was very costly. And she broke the flask and poured it over Jesus' head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. And when you stop and think that he spoke the worlds into being, that's a pretty threatening statement. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. For you will always have the poor with you, and whatever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. What she has done, she has done what she could, and she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Let's take just a second pray together. Father, help us, help us to understand a little better even today what it truly means to love Jesus with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, and with all of our strength. Father, help us to learn today, practically speaking, what does that even mean? I pray that you will impress upon our hearts not just these truths, but maybe even people, real, living, breathing people that you are calling us to touch and serve in Jesus' name. I ask this in the name of Christ, Father, and all God's people said, amen, amen. Well, I'm going to kind of uh, walk our way through this, and I want to read it with some definition. And I'd like you to see the beauty as well as the tragedy of this story. And so in the very beginning in verses 3 uh, and uh, verse 3, it says this. It, it is a selfless act of service to Jesus. And while he, Jesus, was at Bethany. Uh, Bethany is a little town just outside of the major city called Jerusalem. Many of us know the song, Oh, little town of how still we see thee lie. Well, actually, there's also a little town outside of Jerusalem called Bethany. Say it with me. Oh, little town of... Very good. It's about two miles just outside of the city of Jerusalem. And when Jesus would leave the northern area of, of Israel called Galilee, where he carried on much of his ministry, and he would go south to the major city of Jerusalem, the center of worship of Yahweh, when he would go there for feast days or, or to teach, he wouldn't spend the night there. What Jesus would do is he would take the two-mile walk up and over the Mount of Olives, and he would stay in the little town of Bethany, just outside of the major city, and there he would often stay with Mary, Martha, and their brother, Lazarus. And so he would often go to Bethany. This was his home away from home. And so while he, Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the who? The what? The what? Yes. Now, this is strange because in the Bible it says if anybody has leprosy and the priest has confirmed this, that they were to actually keep distance from people and cry out, unclean, unclean, stay away, stay away. 
because I didn't know how it was communicated. So apparently, if this man could invite Jesus into his home along with some other people for a dinner party, he is um, Simon, formerly known as the leper. Apparently, Jesus Christ miraculously healed this man, and now he was inviting Jesus and some of the folks from the surrounding community in, and he was having a dinner with them. So while he was at Bethany in the house of Simon, formerly known as the leper, uh, Jesus was reclining at table. And in the Near Eastern custom, the tables were always very low tables, and there would be pillows that you would lay on your side in order to eat the food that was on the, on the, uh, in the dinner on those tables. And it says this, A woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard. Now, this account in Mark does not tell us who this woman is. However, there are two other accounts of this same story. One is found in John chapter 12, and the other is found in Matthew chapter 26. In John chapter 12, we know who this woman is. It says in verse 3 of John 12, Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. This Mary is not Mary Magdalene. This Mary is Mary, the sister of Martha and of Lazarus. This was their hometown, Bethany. And so in walks Mary, and she came with an alabaster flask of ointment. Now, it was very common in that day to refresh your guests by pouring oil on them. But that is not the kind of oil she was using. She was actually using something called pure nard, better known as spike nard. And spikenard was an unusual extraction from a plant that only grew in the foothills of the Himalayan mountains in northern India. So this stuff was very, it was very, yes, it was very expensive, very costly. This stuff was really, really expensive. In fact, just a little bit further down, it says it was worth 300 Yes. Now, a denarius was what a common worker would make on any given day of labor. And so 300 denarii means that the value that they attributed to this spikenard perfume that she broke and poured on Jesus Christ was the value of a working man's wage for a whole year. This stuff was very costly. You know, I did a little figuring, and uh, the median household income in the Waldorf area is $85,000 a year. You can raise your hand if you make more than that. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. Or less than that. But the point being is that if you were to do something equivalent today, it was $85,000 worth of ointment she would have poured out. Wow, this stuff is pricey. This stuff is really, really expensive. Very costly, a very great act of devotion, an incredible, incredible act of love. I want you to notice two quick things from what we have here in this text. First of all, it seems like Mary almost acted rashly in what she did. Because it says this. It says that she came, she broke. Actually, the idea is to twist and snap off the neck of the alabaster flask, which would have held this very pricey uh, substance. So she came in and she snapped off its neck, and then she just lavishly poured it all over Jesus Christ. It almost seems like a rash act, especially when you understand that this ointment that she had was her retirement. 
You see, they couldn't simply go to the local bank and put money in the bank and expect it to accrue interest. Yeah, we can't do that today either, can we? Yeah, I know. But, but So what they would do in that day in order to ensure that they actually had something that wouldn't lose value is they would buy something that would maintain its value over the course of time. So when she would get into her advanced years and her brother Lazarus, who would have cared for her and her sister Martha, when he had passed away, they would have had something to live on. So she took the equivalent of her retirement account, her CDs, her IRA, her portfolio for her future. She took her entire future and she snapped the neck off it and lavishly poured it all over Jesus. And you know what? You think, you're a crazy woman. That's, that's irresponsible. You don't do that. God has given us a mind. We should use our minds to be careful for the future. How do you do such a stupid thing? Something fascinating about the Bible. John chapter 12, where this story is recorded, is actually preceded by John chapter 11. Do you know what happened in John chapter 11? Her brother Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus Christ. So Lazarus had died. Mary and Martha were in mourning because he was the one who was meant to care for them in their older age. Fortunately, she had this flask. Along comes Jesus. Lazarus, come forth! And he comes up from the grave, and he walks out alive. And so this act of worship she was doing for Jesus was a, was a huge, thank you, Jesus, for giving me back my brother. But it was also this kind of a mentality. Listen. If she could trust Jesus to raise Lazarus from the dead, do you think she could trust Jesus in her advanced years to make sure that she had a bed and some bread? Do you think maybe? So this act seems almost rash, almost irrational, until you understand this is Jesus. And if he can raise the dead, then he can care for my needs all along the way in my life. Some of you need to hear that even this morning. Some of you need to know that God is ultimately on the hook for you if your goal is to live for him. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all the things of life that are required. He'll make sure you have. So you pursue him with passion and heart and loving and, and whatever he has, give it to him. I guarantee you, you'll never, ever go without. So that's one thing I see here. The second thing I see here is that Mary, in this context, as well as over in John chapter 12, as well as in Matthew chapter 26, she never uttered a word. Never said a word. All we know is that she came, she broke, and she poured. Say that with me. She came, she broke, and she poured. You're not all there. She came, she broke, and she poured. Talk is cheap. I love you, Jesus. Hallelujah. I love you, Jesus. She never said that. But what she did is she put her money where her mouth was, and her actions spoke louder than any words could have ever done. And so what we see here is Mary, in gratitude for the raising of Lazarus, her brother from the dead, lavishing on Jesus all of her future. If he can raise the dead, he can take care of me. And so she just took all that she had, and she laid it on Jesus. Let me ask you a question this morning. If Jesus were here right 
now. If Jesus were here right now, let me help you visualize that a little better. If Jesus were here right now, would that make any difference to you? Would that make you perhaps sing a little differently? Maybe. Would you wish that the offering plate would go around again? Maybe. You see, if Jesus were right here, how can we display for him the substance of our love? You see, Mary had him, and she broke off the neck of that thing, and she poured it over his head, and she lavished her love on him, and then wiped his feet with her hair. But Jesus isn't there. So how do we show such devotion? How do we show such acts of love to Jesus today? Let me help you. Let's say Jesus is here. I'm not trying to elevate myself. I just want you to know that. Now, if Jesus were here right now, this is what he would say to you. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have see, what Jesus was saying in those words is, if you want to lavish your joy and your love and your thanksgiving for his work on the cross, if you want to pour out your heart on Jesus, talk is cheap. Actions speak much louder than words. Then what you do is you sacrificially serve and give to one another. And as you do that, you do it too, Jesus. Wow. Look at the person next to you. Look at the person next to you. No, they're not Jesus. <laughs> but Jesus says, if you love me and you want to prove it, You'll pour out the acts of worship and love that you would express to me by loving your brother and sister as though they were me. That's powerful. Very, very powerful. Well, Pastor Bill, help to prove that to me. I'm having a little trouble trying to get my arms around this. Okay, let me help prove this to you. Uh, in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus shares a parable about the end times. It was the time of the end of the tribulational period, uh, just before the millennial kingdom, where Jesus Christ is going to begin his reign on earth. It is, the, it is the judgment of the nations, and he is separating the sheep from the goats. In Matthew 25, we have this statement from the lips of Jesus Christ. Verse 34, he says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, he's talking to those who are the just, the righteous, those who are in a right relationship with God. And there's only one way to be right with God. It is faith alone, in Christ alone, by the grace of God alone, that you are given new birth and made a child of God. So these are those who have done that. They've embraced Christ with their life. But they go on to prove it, to show it by Jesus' following words. Verse 35, for I, wait a minute, who's talking? Who? So wait a minute, so let me get this straight. 
So Jesus said, for I was hungry and you gave me food. But wait a minute, isn't Jesus the bread of life? How could he be hungry? I don't get that. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. Wait a minute, <laughs> he is the fountain of living water, isn't he? How can he be thirsty? I don't get that. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. What? I was naked. I didn't look. Honest, Lord. I, <laughs> and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison. Jesus was in prison. Who knew? I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous are befuddled. Those who love Jesus are totally beside themselves. And they, and they admit it. And the righteous will actually say, whoa, wait a minute, Lord, wait. When did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty, give you drink? When did we uh, see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them. Jesus will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, what did he say? You want to lavish love on Jesus. You want to show him how grateful you are for his sacrifice. You want to say, Jesus, I will give anything for you. Jesus says, you do that when people are hungry and you feed them, when they're thirsty and you give them drink, when they're naked and you clothe them, and when they have need, you come alongside them and give them warmth and fellowship and you help them. You did it too. Too. This is powerful stuff. So Mary came along with this alabaster flask uh, of ointment, and, and she just kind of lavishes it on Jesus. You know, we can't do that today, but last week we saw the story of the Good Samaritan, and the Good Samaritan found this man laying by the wayside, and he says that he actually took oil and he poured it out and poured it into his wounds. So today, if you want to pour the oil of, of, of your love on Christ, you do that by pouring it out on other people in their need. Last week, we used this phrase, what does love require of me? And as we answer that, we discover ways to show Jesus just how much we love him. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, and all of your strength by loving your neighbor as yourself. So Mary did this remarkable act of sacrifice. She poured out her future on Jesus Christ. But I want you to notice, anytime you see somebody selflessly giving themselves to Jesus in somebody else's lives, somebody's going to be critical. Somebody's going to find a cause to, to complain. Somebody's going to find a way to disparage or discourage you. And that's exactly what happens here. I want you to notice a callous criticism from others. And there were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. Actually, the word scold is not strong enough. The original word actually has the idea to be moved with indignation. They were angry. They were fit to be tied when they saw her do this. It was just such a rash act. It was worth 300 denarii. How could you do that? They were mad. They were really mad. Mary performed one of the most selfless acts of love and devotion imaginable. She wasn't trying to be showy or bragging. She just loved her Lord. Why such criticism? Why such criticism? 
You know, I, I, I don't know a better way to say it than this. The devil hates devotion. The devil hates devotion. The enemy of our souls cannot stand it when we display our love for the Lord. He is called the accuser of the brethren. And Satan is always looking for ready lips to discourage and to disparage those who would show devotion. Let me give you a for instance. Uh, back in Mac, uh, Matthew chapter 16, we have this, this question from Jesus to his disciples. Whom do men say that I am? And they said, well, some say you're, you know, uh, 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 the prophet, and some say you're, you're uh, Elijah, some say, some say. No, 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 no. He goes, who do you say I am? And then we have Peter. Good old Peter. You know, he's the kind of a guy who usually only removes his, his foot in his mouth to put the other foot in. He's just one of those kind of guys, you know? And he says this, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, well said, Peter, yes. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven, he's the one who revealed it to you. Way to go, Peter, yeah. A few verses later, in the same chapter, a few verses later, Jesus says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to suffer and bleed, and I'm going to die. And Peter said, no way, Lord, no way, not you. And he said, get thee behind me. Yes. Satan is always looking for ready lips in order to discourage sacrifice to the Lord. Jesus is going to go and fulfill the plan of God for our salvation, and Satan found the lips of Peter, of all people, to discourage the Lord. He says, get thee behind me, Satan, for you are a hindrance to me. You're not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of men. He was discouraging Jesus from his mission. And there will always be those people that Satan will empower their lips to discourage and to disparage those who show remarkable acts of sacrifice for Jesus. And in context here, we know from John chapter 12 that the one who started this whole thing was a man by the name of Judas Iscariot. Are you familiar with his name? He was the betrayer of Christ. He was the one who kissed him on the cheek and betrayed him to his enemies. And notice what he says here. He was indignant. He was angry. Why was this ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to who? Who? Yeah. He cared nothing about the poor. Judas's role in the band of 12 was he was the guy who kept the money bag. And all he could see when she broke the neck of that, that little jar and poured it on Jesus was 300 denarii uh, not going into the money bag that he would pilfer and use for his own sake. Judas had no interest in the poor. He was indignant because he didn't get a chance to consume it on himself. And so he was... How funny. How funny. Judas uses this word to waste. To waste. Uh, Jesus, in speaking to his heavenly father in John chapter 17, his high priestly prayer, he makes this statement. During my time here, Father, he's praying to the, his father in heaven. During my time here, Father, I protected them, the disciples, by the power of the name you gave me. I guarded them so that not one was lost except 
the one headed for destruction as the scriptures foretold. And the one he's speaking about, the one that he lost, if you will, was Judas Iscariot. Notice, the word, why was this ointment wasted? He was complaining that she wasted this money by pouring it on Jesus in an act of devotion. And the same word used here with the word lost. He was complaining that she wasted money. And yet the reality is he wasted his whole life. How funny it is, often those whose lips that are secured by the devil are those who are least likely to actually be devoted to Christ. They're quick to criticize. They're quick. You know, it's my spiritual gift. My spiritual gift is to criticize. My spiritual gift is, is to point things out. No, it's not. <laughs> That's not a spiritual gift. It's actually being empowered by the enemy to discourage and defeat people in a desire to show their love to Christ by pouring out lavishly on others in their times of need. And so we have this callous criticism from others at this very, very difficult time. And I just want to say, regrettably, when we live our lives of radical generosity, some of our friends and even those within the church may start to criticize us. They don't want our example to challenge them to leave the comfort and complacency of their walk with God. In this week's film, we saw Frank's friend. Um, his name is Mark. They have been friends ever since their kids were in diapers. And we see Mark come along and say, we just want things the way they were. Then everything will be fine. Just take us back to the good old days. Then everything will be fine. I'm really disturbed by these relationships you are making because they are affecting you and my relationship, and I don't like having them around. If things would just go back to the way they were, everything will be fine. I wish I could tell you the number of times I have heard that come off the lips of the people of God in churches I have served. You know, Pastor Bill, we love you. We love your preaching. We're so glad you're here. It's great to be part of this body. We love loving on each other. We love the word. We, we, we love fellowship. We love eating, and we like eating, and we really enjoy eating together. We really enjoy that, Pastor Bill. That's awesome. In every church I've gone into, we've always kind of gotten you know, worship underway and discipleship growing, and then the goal has always been to then turn our energies to the outer community, to those who are the least and the lost, to fulfill the mission of Christ. And the moment that happens, oh, what are you doing? What are you doing? You're messing us up. I don't like this. I'm not sure I want those people here. I'm not enjoying this. This, doesn't, this is not what I signed up for. If you would just go back to the way things were, everything would be fine. I have run into that over and over and over again in churches that I have served in. Not here, of course. Too many people allow their lips to be borrowed by the devil to discourage and to disparage people who are seeking to honor Jesus with their lives. Sadly, when a person or a family or a church gives themselves to a more relational generosity, there's always a price to be paid. 
There always is. Some people will talk behind your back. Some people will question your motives. And some people will gossip and get others to criticize you as well, just as Judas did with the rest of the 11. It says, and some, and some, there were some who said to themselves indignantly, and they scolded her. We know that Judas stirred up the rest of the disciples in anger against her. That's very possible. That's very possible. And I just want to say that as you step out and seek to honor the Lord with your life and with the substance that he has, he has blessed you with and to use it in ways that, that lavish love on Jesus by serving others, it's probably not wise to say to those people who think such things, get thee behind me, Satan. They may not take that too, too well. Oh, maybe it's a good idea. Okay, you got my permission. Go ahead and say it. No. But actually, probably the best line uh, of defense is simply to allow Jesus to defend you. And I like what he goes on to say here. Uh, it says that Jesus will defend, commend, and reward you. And so he goes on to say this. Jesus is the one who will defend you. And Jesus said what? He said what? Say it like he's upset with them. No, he's the king of the universe, and he can command the worlds, and he's going to vaporize them. Say it. <laughs> That's right. You don't want to get Jesus upset with you. And Jesus was defending her because what she did was an act of love to him. And if God be for us, who can be against us? And so let Jesus defend you in these moments. But not only let Jesus defend you, but let Jesus commend you. Uh, she has done a beautiful thing to me. The word beautiful thing is literally a good work. She has done a good work to me. And I know that if you're here today and you know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you desire at the end of your life, when you stand at the bema seat judgment of Christ, you want to hear him say to you, well done, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord. That should be your goal. That should be your heartbeat. But it won't happen if you keep consuming your life upon yourself. I believe in Jesus. I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to live my life any way I want. That's not commendable in the eyes of the Lord. Jesus defends. Jesus commends. And ultimately, Jesus is the one who rewards. And truly, I say to you in verse 9, uh, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in this whole world, um, that what she has done will be told in memory of her. And again, even this morning, as we look at this passage together, the promise of Jesus is being fulfilled. 2,000 years after this wonderful selfless act of love, we are speaking of her yet again. Mary sacrificed her money for the future and gained a memorial forever. Forever. And so, too, Jesus Christ will reward every act of selfless service, generous love done to him as we sacrifice into the lives of others. Let me ask you a question. Right now, right now, today, do you think Mary regrets breaking that alabaster flask, her future, her retirement, and pouring it over the head of Jesus? Do you think she regrets it? Two weeks ago, we heard a story of a man called the rich young ruler. 
Jesus challenged him. And it says he walked away sad. Let me ask you, the rich young ruler right now, do you think he regrets his decision? You see, if we live with eternity's values in view, it radically changes how we view the temporal world we live in right now. In this, this you know, few short years we live on earth, we realize that this is an opportunity to invest in eternity and not just to consume it on ourselves. If we get the big picture, if we understand a thousand years from today, how will I feel about this decision? If you're in Christ, that should help you know what to, what to do. What to do. He is no fool who gives up that which he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. Jim Elliott said that, a missionary who was martyred by the Alka Indians uh, many years ago now. Do you think Jim Elliott regrets giving up his life for the sake of the gospel? I don't think so. I think he's very, very pleased. Here's another one, C.T. Studd. What a great name, C.T. Studd. Uh, he was actually a famous cricket player from England. Uh, he made this statement, only one life will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. Do you think C.T. Studd regrets giving up his professional cricket career to become a missionary statesman? Do you think he regrets that decision today? No. He gave up the temporal to gain the eternal. Martin Luther, the great reformer, said this, I've held many things in my hands and I have lost them all. But whatever I have placed in the God's hands, that I still possess. Do you think Martin Luther uh, is upset that he broke away from then the Catholic Church to reaffirm what true salvation is and suffered all that persecution for it? Today, do you think it bothers him? Yeah, piece of cake. No problem. Do it again. Especially now that he knows what's on the other side of the grave. There's a man of God that I highly respect. I love this man. Uh, one of these days when I get a chance to meet him, I'm just going to kind of hug him around the neck and tell him how much he's meant to me. His name is Francis Chan. How many of you are familiar with Francis Chan? Yeah. He's a pastor in Southern California, Semi Valley, uh, mega church. Um, he also founded Eternity Bible College. Uh, you know, great conference speaker. He's all around the world doing stuff. Amazing guy. And he walked away from it all. He walked away from the church, the Bible college, and much of his conference speaking, and he took an apartment in San Francisco, and he's opened the doors to anyone in need. Why would he do that? Listen to what he says. How do you convince people that they still should follow Jesus even though it doesn't guarantee them an escape from problems? Oh, yeah. Well, you, you go to the Word, and, and Jesus explains that whatever you sacrifice here on the earth, you really are going to be rewarded a hundredfold in this life and in the life to come. So you get them thinking about, look, the exact words of Scripture and saying, look, we're supposed to be like Jesus. And Jesus did spend his life suffering, but it was all for this future glory, all for this future joy. You did something that, I mean, it just doesn't happen. You had a very... Uh, emergingly successful dynamic congregation that had grown I mean exponentially you had what most pastors uh, pray for every night on their faces before God big church influential church and you walked away from it what happened what made you say that's not what I want to be doing well it, first of all that was really hard I mean I, I love those people I had been with them for almost 17 years 
this this was my baby. This is, you know, we started that church out of our house and saw great things happen. But after a while, I started thinking, we've got a lot of great leaders in this church. And I think it'd be fine without. In fact, I thought they might do better without me because sometimes we can rely too much on people. And at one point I even said, look, I, I hear the words Francis Chan more than I hear the words Holy Spirit. Mm. And if we keep going down that route, that's, that's a very bad road to go down. And there was almost like too much attention on me. And when I look in scripture, I go, gosh, all the glory should go to God. But you actually, I mean, you walked away from not only the church, but downsized your living and your home and opened it up to total strangers. Yeah. I, I just want to make sure our audience understands it was a radical departure from a conventional lifestyle. I mean, how difficult was that to, to go from essentially being a fairly comfortable upper middle class person to living as close to the streets as you've ended up living? It was so easy. I, I mean, it was hard to make the decision uh -huh. because it was so strange to people and we had so much resistance from church people. You, you really? Know? Church people? <laughs> exactly. Difficult? My goodness. Yeah. It, it's almost like the people who didn't believe in God understood our decision better <laughs> than the church did. Not surprised. Yes, exactly. But my wife and I, as we went down this journey, I mean, th that's the thing that the Bible says, if you would lose your life, you're going to find it. Mm. And so once you make the difficult decisions, once you allow people into your house, once you start giving to the poor, and you see the result of it, I mean, to be in a... You can see the rest of that interview online. Go to Google, type in Mike Huckabee and Francis Chan. There's about an eight-minute interview there. But I just wanted you to hear what he had to say. You see, people without eternity's values in view will criticize and caution you about wasting your resources and your life on others. But a true waste in life is not to self -sacri selfish, selflessly sacrifice to the needs of others, but to continue to consume your life upon yourself. That is a waste. It is a wasted life. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he can never 